Amen. Would you welcome my friend Scott Camp as he shares with us this morning? God Thank bless you, Pastor. Scott. Amen. Well, it's great to be here on Friend Day. How many of you are glad you came today? Amen. How many of you rather be here than in jail? Amen. A couple of you back there. That's right. Well, it's great to be here. And um, I want you to take your Bible this morning and turn to John's Gospel. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Just look on with someone who's sitting around you. And I want you to find John chapter number three. And I want to talk to you this morning. I'm not going to preach long. I'll tell you what Elizabeth Taylor told her eighth husband. I won't keep you long. But I want you to listen. For just a few moments, I want to talk to you about what it means to be born again. Everybody say that. Born again. Say born. it again. Born, born again. again. What does it mean to be born again? I was on an airplane not long ago. I'm always on an airplane traveling somewhere to tell somebody about what Christ has done in my life. And I sat down next to a very uh, well-dressed, no doubt very well-educated and successful businesswoman. And uh, we began to talk and just kind of chat. And then the plane took off. And after it was in the air, just a few moments, it hit a pocket of turbulence. And uh, the plane kind of began to rock back and forth. I've always found that's a good time to talk to people about Jesus. And so I looked over at her and her eyes were big as saucers. And it was kind of a nerve-wracking experience for her. And I started talking to her about Christ and about how He had changed my life. And after a few moments, the plane kind of leveled out and she put up her hand rather patronizingly. And then she said, she said, well, you must be one of those born again Christians. And then she said, I'm a Christian too, but I'm not the born again kind. And I said, honey, there ain't but one kind. Amen. And so what does it mean to be born again? Now, this all became very relevant to our culture really several decades ago, back in the mid-70s. How many of you remember back? I don't really remember that far back, but your pastor used to tell me about it when I'd sit on his knee as a small child. And some of you remember when Jimmy Carter called together that first news conference and he shocked the nation. No one had really ever heard of Jimmy Carter. And he said, I'm going to be the next president of the United States. And then in the middle of his press conference, while the photographer's cameras were clicking away and the news writers were writing furiously, Carter smiled and he said, by the way, I'm a born again Christian. And for the first time in modern history in our nation, born again made the headlines of the major newspapers. And in the evening news, they were talking about being born again. And what does it mean to be born again? Chuck Colson. He was special advisor to President Nixon during the Watergate scandal, and he was found guilty of several counts of conspiracy against the government. And shortly before he began serving his sentence, he too claimed to have been born again. Matter of fact, Colson wrote a best-selling book, over a million copies sold in our country, and the name of the book, Born Again. And I was watching the NFL's induction ceremony this not long ago for the National Football League's Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. And they inducted Chris Carter, the great wide receiver, the Minnesota Vikings. And in the middle of his speech, Carter said, I want you to know this about me. He said, I'm born again. Now, what does it mean to be born again? You know, the Gallup survey, the last one out, says that one out of, or one out of, or one third, what is, I'm not good at math, one third of all people in America 
claim to be born-again Christians. They say they've been born again, that Christ has changed their life. But what does it mean to be born again? And where did this unusual expression come from? And most importantly, watch this, have you ever really been born again? Now it's in John chapter number 3 that Jesus has a conversation at nighttime with a man the Bible calls Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. I call this message Nick at night. Come on, work with me. It's early. Nick at night. And it's in the middle of that conversation that Jesus coins this phrase, born again. And I want you to see it because it's right here in the Bible. John chapter 3, beginning reading in verse number 1. I'm going to read out loud. You read along silently as I read out loud. John 3, 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus at night. And said unto him, Rabbi, or Master, or Teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do the miracles that you're doing unless God is with him. And then look at verse number 3. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, or listen up, Nicodemus, I say unto you, except a man is, say it, born again. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, how? How can a man be born when he's old? Now Nicodemus is thinking about a natural birth or a physical kind of birth, but Jesus is talking about a completely different kind of birth. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water. Now that's the natural birth or the physical birth. We talk about a woman's water breaking before the baby comes, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Nicodemus, it's not enough to be born physically. You must not only be born of water, but born of the Spirit. And unless you're born spiritually, you cannot enter the kingdom of God because that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So don't marvel. Don't let it blow your mind. If I say unto you, you must be born again. And then Jesus gives a kind of illustration from nature. He says, Nicodemus, it's kind of like the wind. Now, I grew up in a little town called Wichita Falls, Texas. And it's right in the middle of what's called Tornado Alley. I know all about the power of the wind. Every 10 years, a tornado would blow through our town, blow the whole town down. We'd have to start all over. And Jesus said, that's the way it is when you're born again. It's like the wind. You feel the power of the wind. You hear the wind, but you can't tell where it came from or where it's going. Jesus said that's the way it is. There's a mystery involved to being born again. And Nicodemus answered and said unto him for a second time, How? How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Aren't you a master of Israel? Aren't you a professor at the theological seminary in Jerusalem? Don't you know these things? You see, Nicodemus had his M.I. He was a master of Israel, but he didn't have his B.A. He'd never been born again. And then Jesus said, Nicodemus, you ought to know these things. I say unto you, we speak what we know and testify what we've seen. Verse 11, if you receive not our witness, if I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? 
And no one has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. And then he takes a story out of the Old Testament that he knew Nicodemus would be familiar with because Nicodemus knew all about the Old Testament. He said, Nicodemus, it's like Moses in the wilderness. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then verse 16, many of you have known it from childhood. Let's say it out loud. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now I want you to look right here and listen very, very carefully for the next few moments. The Bible tells us many things about this man named Nicodemus. For example, the Bible says that Nicodemus, watch, was a very religious man. The Bible calls him a Pharisee. And the Pharisees, the word Pharisee means the strict ones or the straight ones or the pious ones. Nicodemus was very religious. The Pharisees were one of two major religious denominations in the days of Jesus. It's like today. We have the Baptist and the Methodist and the Presbyterians and the Pentecostals and the Lutherans and on and on and on and on. And in that day, they had a lot of different groups too. They had two major groups. There were the Pharisees and then the Sadducees. And kind of like the, the theological conservatives and the liberals. And the Sadducees were like the theological liberals. For example, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in life after death. The Sadducees didn't believe that all the Old Testament was the Word of God. They didn't believe in miracles. That's why they were so sad, you see. But Nicodemus wasn't a Sadducee. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus believed that all of the Old Testament was the Word of God. Nicodemus believed in miracles. He even believed in Jesus, and he believed that Jesus was a teacher who had come from God, and he believed the miracles that Jesus did. He was a very religious man. Nicodemus prayed twice a day. He fasted three times a week. He gave a tenth of all of his income to the work of the Lord, the temple, so that it could support the work of the Lord. Nicodemus was very religious. Listen, if he were alive right now in Beaumont, Texas, there's no doubt he would be in church somewhere right now. He was a very religious person. He was also very well respected in his community. He's called a ruler of the Jews, and that means that Nicodemus was kind of like a politician. He was kind of like a senator in our day. Well respected. He probably was no doubt very wealthy. He probably graduated at the top of his class, summa cum laude, most likely to succeed. Nicodemus tried to keep the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule. And when Nicodemus walked down the streets of the city of Jerusalem, all the young people would point and say, there goes Mr. Nicodemus. What a good man. What a moral man. What a religious man. What a well-respected man. I want to be just like Mr. Nicodemus one day. And yet Jesus looked at this man, listen to me very carefully, Jesus looked at this man with all of his religion and all of his respectability, and Jesus said, Nicodemus, that is not enough. It's not enough to be religious, Nicodemus. you got to be born again. 
It's not enough to be well respected or well thought of to try to be a good father or a good husband or a good businessman. Nicodemus, if you're going to see the kingdom, if you're going to go to heaven, then you must be born again. Jesus didn't say that being born again is one way to get there. He didn't say being born again is one way to get to heaven. He said in verse number 3, you must be born again. Verse 5, verse 7, you must be born again. Again, and you know what? Listen to me, look at me. That's exactly what Jesus says to you this morning. Now, there are some of you here, you're a member of a church. I think it's great to be a member of a church, but I could spit in hell right now and hit a Baptist right on the head or a Methodist. Hell's going to be full of Catholics and Lutherans and Presbyterians and Pentecostals and Church on the Rock people. Listen, it's not enough to be a member of the church. There's not a Baptist way to heaven or a Methodist way to heaven. It's not the church of Christ that saves you. It's the Christ of the church that saves you. And if you're going to go to heaven, listen, then you must be born again. I want to ask you a question this morning. Listen to me. Most important question anybody could ever ask you. Have you ever really been born again? Has Christ really made a difference in your life? Now, why did Jesus say that we need a second birth? Why did he say that we need to be born again? Let me tell you why. Because there's something terribly wrong with our first birth. Did you know that? Did you know that theologians talk about original sin and they talk about the sin nature and somebody said it like this, that we're all born with our back toward God. There's something wrong on the inside of us. Listen, listen to me. We are all deeply broken. I was listening to a radio interview not long ago with Lady Gaga, who's one of the most fascinating people that has come along on the music scene in a long time. She's incredibly brilliant, a graduate of Juilliard, wonderfully trained classical pianist, and also, of course, a pop star, and she's an incredible person. And I was listening to the radio interview, and she was talking about her past and the drug abuse and the drug addiction. And someone asked her, are you angry because of things that have happened in your life? Is that why you began to use drugs? And here's what Lady, Bro uh, Lady Gaga said. She said, I'm not angry. Listen, but she said, I am a deeply broken person. One of the most popular television series of all time was the series Breaking Bad. And you know, the truth is we've all broken bad. There's something wrong on the inside of us. The great French physicist Pascal said that we're born with a God-shaped vacuum. Look at me, listen. There's an emptiness on the inside of us and a brokenness on the inside of us from the very moment of our conception. Even a little baby has a sin nature. If you don't believe babies are sinners... You ain't never worked in the nursery, amen? I mean, listen, you you don't have to teach a little baby to take a toy from another little baby. You don't have to teach a little baby to hit another little baby or to be selfish. You don't have to teach children to do wrong. You have to teach them to do right. You know why? Because there's something on the inside of us that causes us to live for ourselves and think of ourselves. Now, it didn't start out that way. Because when God first made man, the Bible says everything God made was good. Matter of fact, the Bible says God created the, the heavens and the earth and He said it was good and God created the, the, the earth and the land and the land animals and the sea and the sea creatures and God said everything's good and then God created man and God said it's not good that man should be alone. 
And God gave man a helpmeet named Eve, and God placed them in a beautiful paradise called Eden. And God said, if you'll just obey me and serve me and love me, then I'll turn the whole world into a garden, and I'll live right there with you, and you'll enjoy all of my creation. God made everything good. You know the story. How God placed Adam and Eve in a beautiful paradise called Eden and filled it with beautiful trees and, and said you can enjoy every fruit of every tree. And then he put one tree in the middle of the garden and he said, now that tree belongs to me. Don't eat from it. Don't touch it. You say, Scott, why would God do that? Let me tell you why. Listen, because God wants us to choose to love him and serve him and obey him. God didn't make robots. Did you know it's the same today? Did you know every person in this room today has to make a choice? What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? What are you going to do with God? Are you going to put Jesus down the list of priorities in your life and serve God when you want to serve Him? Or are you going to say, I'm giving my life to Jesus? And you know how the devil came slithering in to that, into that perfect Eden and he, he spoke to Eve and she was deceived. And she took of that forbidden fruit. And I don't know what kind of fruit it was, Pastor. People always want to know, you know, was it an apple? We usually think it's an apple, but it might have been a banana or a pineapple. It wasn't the apple in the tree that got us in trouble. It was the pear on the ground. Amen? The pear on the ground. So Eve listened to the voice of the devil in the form of a serpent. Watch. She took of that forbidden fruit. She ate of it. She gave it to her husband, Adam, who was standing right there watching the whole thing. And Adam willfully, stubbornly chose to rebel against God. In other words, Adam said, I'd rather have her than you, God. And when Adam, listen, ate of that forbidden fruit, the thing that God had warned them, if you disobey me, if you choose to do your thing instead of my thing, in the day that you disobey me, you're going to die. And that's exactly what happened. They died right there on the spot. Now watch. They didn't die physically because they lived hundreds of years and populated the earth. They didn't die in their soul because their mind was open. Your soul is your mind and your will and your emotions. And their mind was open. They knew right from wrong. And they felt the horrible, stinging, emotional pain of guilt. And they made a conscious, volitious decision to run and hide from God. They didn't die in their body or their soul. Listen, you know the deepest part about you is what the Bible calls your spirit. And just as God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He made us in His image to reflect His very nature. And so God made us a triune being. First Thessalonians 5.23, the Bible says, watch, that you have a body. B.F. Skinner, the great American psychologist, the father of behaviorism, said man is nothing more than an animal. Man is nothing more than a seething mass of flesh and bone and sinew and tissue and nerve. But the Bible says we're more than a body and we're more than a soul. We're more than our ability to think cognitively and to experience and express the way we feel and to choose and make conscious volitional choices. We're more than a body. We're more than a soul. Watch this. Listen, the most important thing about you is your spirit. Your spirit is the real you. Your spirit is that 
aspect of your makeup that's going to spend forever either with God in heaven or separated from God in a horrible place called hell that Jesus talked about and described compared to a stinking burning garbage dump outside the city of Jerusalem where they would throw their trash and the refuse and unclaimed bodies and because of that the fire never went out and it was always ascending smoke and the worms never seemed to die and Jesus said that's what it's going to be like for everyone who's separated from God throughout eternity so Adam and Eve didn't die in their body they didn't die in their soul watch they died in their sand in their spirit and did you know that every person since Adam and Eve has been born with that same dead spirit on the inside and that's what's wrong with us there's an emptiness. The Bible says we're dead in trespasses and in sin. Psalm 51.5, David said, I was conceived in sin and birthed in iniquity. There's something wrong on the inside of us, an emptiness on the inside of us that nothing can fill. Some of you have tried to fill that emptiness with drugs or alcohol. Some of you have looked to the bottom, the empty, the, uh, try to fill that void, and you've looked for the meaning of life in a bottle, and when you suck that bottle empty, you're more empty than the bottle is. Some of you have tried girls and got some of you teenage guys think, man, if I could just date this girl, I'd be happy. Or if I could just date this girl, I'd be happy. Or if I could just date anybody, man, I'd be happy. But did you know that there's not a person, you're a new wife or a new husband or a new job or more money. There's not a person or a possession or a position that can fill the emptiness on the inside of you. Nicodemus was a good man. Listen, Nicodemus was a good man. He was well thought of. He was religious, but he knew that there was something missing in his life. And that's why he came to Jesus. And that's what I'm going to ask many of you to do in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to come to Jesus. And that's what happened in my life. I wasn't raised in the church. If you got a mom and dad, young person that got you up this morning and said, get ready, we're going to church, you ought to thank God for that. Look at me. If you got a friend who encouraged you to come to church today, then you got a real friend. Because I didn't grow up in the church. My mama was 15 years old when she got pregnant with me. And my dad was a teenager. In those days, if you got your girlfriend pregnant, you got married. And so that's what my parents did. They got married. But they didn't know God. They didn't know anything about God. My maternal and paternal grandparents were both alcoholics. My maternal grandfather literally died with a bottle in his hand on the coast right down here in Mississippi. Nobody in my family knew God. And so my parents got married and they tried to do the best they could. They moved in on the wrong side of the tracks, a little town called Wichita Falls, Texas. And we lived in a little hovel of a house. We didn't have a home in our house. And so my parents began their life and that's how I began my life. My mom as a teenager started tending a bar. My dad as a teenager started driving a truck. I grew up never really knowing my dad, never really seeing my dad. But I saw my mama with one man after another, after another, after another. And I became a very angry little boy when I was in second grade. I came home from elementary school, stood between my mom and my dad, dodged flying pots and pans, flying ashtrays, flying accusations. And as an eight-year-old little boy, my parents threw in the towel on their marriage. They got a divorce. All I can tell you, listen to me, is that something died on the inside of me that day. Some of you have been there. I became a very angry little boy. I started getting in trouble at school at a young age. When I was in the eighth grade, somebody introduced me to alcohol. They gave me a can of beer. They said, you'll like this. It'll make your problems go away. 
And I did like it. Two years later, I was addicted to alcohol. There wasn't a day of my life that went by where I wasn't drinking and drunk as a teenager. When I was a sophomore in high school, somebody introduced me to the gateway drug, marijuana. They said, try this, you'll like it. And two years later, I was addicted to both drugs and alcohol. I was empty on the inside. On the outside, I looked like I had it together because I was a 220-pound fullback going to play college football. I'd strut up and down the halls of my high school with a letter jacket on like I had the world by the tail, but it was just me and four walls and darkness. I'd cry myself to sleep at night because I felt so lonely. You ever felt that way? I think all of us feel that way when we don't know God. We don't know how we're going to make it. We don't feel like anybody really loves us or knows us. Friday nights, people by the hundreds would stand up and clap and cheer. They'd call my name over the loudspeaker. I'd made one touchdown after another. And then I'd go home after the game and think about taking a pistol and shoving it in my mouth and squeezing the trigger and blowing my brains all over the side of my bedroom because I felt lonely and I felt guilty over the things that I'd done. Listen, all of us know right from wrong because God's given us a conscience. And then God gave us the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments reflect His holy nature. He's a holy God. That's why the Bible says things like, Thou shalt not steal. But how many of you have ever broken that commandment? Let me see your hand. If you've ever stolen anything, let me see your hand right now. All over. Hide your purse. There's all around you. There's thieves right there. We've all stolen, haven't we? Bible says, thou shalt not lie. How many have ever broken that commandment? Let me see your hand. You're lying right now. Dude, get your hand up. Amen? I mean, all of us. We've all lied. We've all stolen. You say, wait a minute, Scott. I've never murdered anybody. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You remember what Jesus said? He said, if you've ever had a hatred in your heart towards someone because they hurt you deeply or maybe they abused you or maybe they laughed at you because of your race or because of your weight or because of the way you look and you thought, man, if I could get my hands on that person, I'd kill them. Jesus said, if you've ever had that kind of a thought and all of us have, that we've committed murder in our heart. And we've all committed adultery in our heart because God sees us in the dark. God knows not only what we've done. Listen, God knows everything you've ever done. You can fool your pastor and your parents and your husband and your wife, but you can't fool God. Because God sees everything you've ever done. He knows you in the dark. And God knows not only what you've done, but God knows what you would have wanted to do and what you would have liked to have done if you weren't afraid you would have got caught doing it. See, God knows everything about all of us. And all of us have broken the very first commandment of all, which is to have no other gods except the true and the living God. And our lives are filled with American idols. Matter of fact, you know who most of us worship? We worship ourselves. Some of you got up this morning and looked in the mirror and smiled and sang your favorite song, How Great Thou Art. Amen. I mean, you love you. You love you. And so we've all sinned, and I knew I was a sinner, and I felt guilty, and I was afraid to die because I knew I wasn't right with God, and so that's how I lived my life. Listen, I was as empty as Nicodemus. He was a good man and a religious man and a moral man, and I was an immoral person, but we were both empty. And so I drifted from one girl to the next, to one party to the next, to one game to the next, existing without really knowing what it was like to live. My senior year in high school, my best friend was the biggest dope dealer in our whole area. His dad was connected to the Mexican mafia. They smuggled dope across the border from Matamoros up into the Metroplex where I had gone to live with my father who I barely even knew. 
And so my friend always had a wad of $100 bills in his pocket and drove a brand new T-Bird that he bought with his own money, 17 years old. And I thought, man, that's the way I want to live my life. Maybe that'll make me happy. And so that's the way I began to live my life. And my life spun out of control. January the 7th of 1980, my friend pulled up in our driveway, honked the horn like he always did. I jumped out, came out the front door, jumped in the car, lit up a couple of joints, popped a couple of pills. By the time I got to first period class geometry, I was wasted. So I slept through the whole class, the whole semester in high school until one day in January, there was a beautiful girl named Kelly. And Kelly had beautiful blue eyes and Beautiful blonde hair. Everybody in our school knew Kelly. She was one of the most popular girls in our high school. She made straight A's. She was on the drill team. And everybody knew how what a good girl Kelly was. But listen to me. But Kelly had come to the point in her life where she didn't care anymore about being popular. She didn't care about being who's who or what's what or even making straight A's. Kelly had been broken by God for souls the summer before our senior year in high school. She went off to a youth camp and God got a hold of her. And Kelly started coming to our high school and she witnessed to people. And she had some friends. They'd go in the, li- in the library during lunch and make a circle out of their chairs and they'd read a couple of verses and then they'd cry out to God for revival. I found out later they made a top 10 list of the worst kids in our high school who they wanted to see get saved before the end of our senior year. And guess who made number one on the top 10 list? You're looking at him right now. Only time I was ever number one in anything, I was number one on the prayer list. And Kelly and some other girls and guys that loved Jesus would go in the library and they'd circle up their chairs and they'd get out the prayer list and they'd start praying, God save Scott Camp. God save Celso Jimenez. God save Tony Mooney. God save Steve Phipps. And so it was in January 7th of 1980. I was already hung over, had my head laid down on my, on my desk and Kelly reached across the aisle. Listen to me, friend. She tapped me on the shoulder. I'll never forget what she said as tears began trickling down her cheeks at 8 o'clock in the morning. She said, Scott, do you know why you're so miserable? And I was miserable. I said, why don't you tell me? And she said, man, it's because you don't know Jesus. And Kelly began to cry. And another girl named Angela Allen, her name now is Angela Paxton. Her husband is the new Attorney General of the state of Texas. Angela said, Scott, do you know that Do you know that Jesus loves you? Did you know I can say honestly that I'd never heard that before in my life? I'd never had ears to hear that Jesus loved me. And then she said, Scott, Jesus died on the cross for you. And I'd never heard that before. Now, I knew what a cross was. And I'd seen crosses, and we've all seen crosses. It's impossible to grow up, especially in the South, and not see a cross, but I never really understood what happened on the cross. When they took Jesus and they stripped the clothing off His back, and they tied His hands to a vertical pole, and then they took what was called in that day a flagellum or a cat of nine tails. It consisted of a heavy club with nine long strands of leather, and at the end of each piece of leather, there was a piece of rock or a piece of bone or a piece of glass or a piece of metal. And like an artist painting strokes on a canvas, that Roman soldier so skilled in the art of scourging would take that whip and begin to beat the body of Jesus, painting bloody strokes on his on his back. 
When the pieces of rock and metal and bone and glass would hit the body of Jesus, they would stick in his body. And when the soldier whisked away the whip, literally hunks of flesh would fly from the body of Jesus five and ten and twenty and thirty and forty times nine and more until his skin was shredded and hung from his back like red ribbons and bones were exposed and heaving muscle was exposed and his raw nerve endings must have made his whole body feel like it was on fire that day as the soldier beat Jesus. Most men never survived the Roman scourge. Their intestines would fall out in front of them, the last thing they ever saw, their own intestines on the ground before they died. And they beat Jesus until he looked like a piece of raw meat. And then they cut the rope that held his hands. And Jesus' body slumped into the ground. And the blood and spit and sweat and dirt began to mingle together. And then they said, now we're going to have some fun. This guy says he's a king. If he's a king, he needs a crown. Go get him a crown. And so one of them ran into the Judean hillside where the long thorns still grow and they plucked a crown of thorns and fashioned it with their cruel hands of hatred and they placed it upon his sinless brow and Jesus bore on his sinless brow the curse of all humanity. They took a stick and shoved it in his right hand and took a purple soldier's garment and draped it around his bloody beaten shoulders and then they began to mock him. They bowed before him in mock homage saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And then it got violent. Somebody got their hands and ripped his beard out by the roots and they took their big fists and pounded away at him over and over until his face was disfigured. His teeth were loosened. His nose was plastered across his face. His eyes were swollen and puffy and they cleared their throat and they spit in his face. They took the stick and beat him in the head until it drove the thorns deeper and deeper into his brow and he was blinded by his own blood and then they kicked him and they spit on him and they slapped him and then they said, get the cross. We're going to show this dirty Jew what happens to everybody who dares raise his voice against our king there is but one Lord and his name is Caesar somebody get the cross and they went and got that horizontal beam of the cross it wasn't a polished piece of jewelry like you got around your neck this morning. It was an old rugged cross and they placed it upon his bloody beaten shoulders and you can imagine that the thorns began, the splinters began working their way into the open wounds of Jesus as somebody said, March 650 yards up the Via Della Rosa, the pathway of pain. And on the way to the top of that skull-shaped mountain, because, listen to me, because Jesus was a man. Now, Jesus was a man like you're a man and like I'm a man. Jesus sweat like a man. He grew thirsty like a man. He got hungry like a man. He bled like a man. He died like a man. And up the way of that skull-shaped mountain, he stumbled beneath the load of the cross. Because his body went under, underwent shock. He had lost so much blood. He had been up for three days, been through a kangaroo court, a miscarriage of justice, and his body slumped beneath the load of the cross, and they got a black man. History will always record that it was an African man from northern Africa, Simon from Cyrene, who they got to kneel beneath the load of the cross and help Jesus carry the cross up that skull-shaped mountain. And when they got Jesus to the top of the mountain, they, they pulled his arms out taut. They took nine-inch nails, positioned them in his wrist so as not to break a bone. And they got a heavy mallet and they brought it down hard on the head of those spikes 
through his right hand, the flesh, the muscle, the sinew, the nerves, and his left hand and his feet. And they raised the cross up high in the air and dropped it in a huge hole in the ground. And when the bottom of that cross hit the bottom of that hole, all his bones came out of joint. And there's Jesus, covered with spit and sweat and dirt and blood. And do you know what else covered him that day? Listen to me. Every sin that you've ever committed. And every sin that I've ever committed. You see, it was our lies that formed the crown of thorns that pierced His brow. It was our adultery that formed the nails that went through His hands and feet. It was our dishonoring of our parents and all the other sins that I've ever committed. I'm the worst sinner in this room. Our sins put Jesus on the cross. Now, no one took His life from Him. It wasn't nails that held Jesus on the cross. Because he could have snapped his finger or thought one thought or uttered one prayer and all of heaven's angels mounted on white angelic horses would have been there in a flash to take him down off the cross. It wasn't nails that kept him there. It was his love for you that kept him there. That's why he left heaven. You see, Jesus was more than a man. He was not less than a man. But he was more than a man. You know who Jesus is? We said it out loud a moment ago. For God so loved the world that he gave his, listen, only begotten son. That's who Jesus is, man. Jesus is not just a teacher, although he was the greatest teacher who's ever lived. He was not just a prophet, although he was the embodiment of the word of God. He was more than a miracle worker. Jesus is God who came in the flesh. He stepped down the starry steps of eternity into time and wrapped up His deity in flesh and the creating one became the cradled one. The infant was at the same time the infinite God. Listen, God became a man in the person of Jesus and that's why you can't compare Jesus to Buddha. On His deathbed, Buddha said, I'm still searching for truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Muhammad, they say he was a great prophet, but his body is dead in Mecca. You can go there today. But Jesus is not a man who lived and then died. Jesus is a man who died and now he lives. He's alive because he's more than a man. He's the God-man, you see. Why would God come in the person of a man, Jesus? Because only a man could die in the place of other men. And that's what Jesus was doing that day on the cross, you see. He was taking my place. I should suffer the wrath of God because I'm the sinner. Listen, if we got what we deserve this morning, we'd all be in hell right now. But Jesus doesn't want us to go to hell. Listen, man, God didn't make hell for you. He made hell for the devil and his angels. God made heaven for you so that you could go to heaven. Jesus left heaven. And he came to this earth and he went to the cross and the one who knew no sin became sin for you and sin for me so that we could be made right with God. And that's why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen to me. God the Father turned his back on his own son so that he would never have to turn his back on you. They took Jesus' body down off the cross. After he had dropped his chin on a pulseless chest and dismissed his spirit and they put him in a grave and they took a big stone and rolled it over the mouth of that tomb and they said, we're done with him. The religious leaders who had conspired with the political authorities of Rome to put this would-be Messiah, this itinerant carpenter, 
this, 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 this smart aleck preacher from Nazareth, they put him to death and they said, we'll never hear from him again. Oh, what's his name? Yeah, Jesus, the world's heard the last from him. The Roman authority said, this is what happened to every person who wants to be king. There's only one king and his name is Caesar and the demons and the devil of hell got together in the belly of hell that night and they threw a party. They said, we've killed the son of God and now humanity is ours and they'll never be free. But the Bible says three days later after Jesus cold, dead body had lain in that tomb Jesus didn't pass out he didn't swoon he was dead and three days later someone named Mary a former prostitute came to anoint and embalm his body with spices as one last act of devotion to her Lord who had set her free and when she got to the tomb she found that the stone was rolled away and she looked inside but there was no one there and later Jesus appeared to her listen my friend Jesus is alive Alive. He's alive. He's alive. Woo! Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, listen to me, because he's alive, he has the power to change your life forever. And so when Angela told me, Scott, Jesus loves you and he died for you and he rose from the dead and then Debbie Malone said, Scott, we've all been praying for you. Why don't you give your life to Jesus? And I wish I could tell you, that I fell on my knees right there at 8 o'clock in the morning and said, Jesus, come into my life. I should have. I wish I would have. Because every day you put Jesus off is one less day to repent in and one more day to repent of. I said, I, I don't even believe there is a God. But I knew there was a God. All of us know there's a God. I took God's name in vain and stormed out of that classroom. But Angela and Debbie and Kelly didn't give up on me. Later on that afternoon in the hallways, Kelly found me and stuck her little finger in my big face. Here's what she said. I'll never forget it. She said, Scott, you're the biggest phony in this high school. She said, I'm going to pray for you every day until God changes your life. And one month later on Cooper Street in Arlington, Texas, two Arlington police officers who had been looking for me for a long time finally caught up with me. They arrested me. They booked me on a felony charge. Later, I was transferred to Tarrant County Jail Cell in Fort Worth, Texas. And sitting in a jail cell 35 years ago, February the 14th, 1980. I can't explain it. Nicodemus wanted Jesus to explain the new birth on a physical kind of intellectual level. Let me tell you something, buddy. If you got to have God all figured out before you'll give your heart to Jesus, then you're going to die and bust hell wide open because Christianity is not irrational, but it's supra-rational. It's more than you can figure out. Jesus said it's like a mystery. It's like the wind. I can't understand everything about God, but all I can tell you is this, that 35 years ago I was sitting in a jail cell Hooked on drugs and alcohol, a filthy vocabulary, a filthy life. I had broken every relationship in my life. I was hopelessly addicted. My own father said, you'll be dead within the next five years or you'll be in the penitentiary. And sitting in that jail cell, the wind of the Spirit of God began to blow. I was convicted of my sin. I trusted Christ as the one who loved me and died for me and rose from the dead. I walked into a jail cell, one person. I I walked out of a jail cell a different person. I was born again. I've never been the same. Mm. I want to say this and I'm done. I want you to listen to me and lean in. And if you don't hear anything else, you better listen to me right now. 
one day, and it could be today, your heart's going to stop beating. Are you listening to me? Your heart's going to stop beating. 86 people die every minute. 5,000 people die every hour. 122,000 people die every day. One day your heart's going to stop beating. You can't run from death. I've been all over the world preaching the gospel. I've been in tiny little villages in Africa. I've been in great Gothic cathedrals in Europe. I've been, I've been in the, in South America, in the Caribbean. I've been in the largest churches and football stadiums of this country preaching the gospel. And you know what all those towns have in common? They all have a funeral home and they all have a cemetery. You know why? Because one day you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to close your eyes for the last time. We're going to take your body and put it in a casket and drop you six feet under and chisel your name across the face of a tombstone and drop cold clods on you and go in the fellowship hall and eat fried chicken and potato salad and talk about what a great guy you were. But I'm going to tell you something. If you don't know Jesus, if you're not born again, listen to me. I'm begging you this morning. If you're not born again, there's no hope for you. You see, if you're only born once, then you're going to die twice. The Bible says there's physical death and then there's the eternal death. And the word death means separation and eternal death. You know what hell is? It's separation from God forever and everything that's good. And that's your future. I'm, I'm trying to get some of you ready for your future because you're bound and determined. You can't wait till I shut up and sit down so you can go home and drink a beer and talk about how stupid all those church people are. But let me tell you something, hot shot. One day you're going to die. When you die, it's not going to matter how much money you have in the bank or how big your house is. If I look at it, if I hold a skull in my hand this morning, I don't know if that was a black man or a white man or a poor man or a rich man or an educated man or, or an illiterate man. All I know is that's a dead man. And all that's going to matter when you die is whether or not you really know Jesus. I'm not asking you if your name's on a church roll or if you've been baptized or if you're, if you, if you go to, I'm not asking you that Jesus can be all around you, but not in you. I'm asking you if you've ever been born again. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed in this place. No one's looking around. Don't touch anybody. Don't talk to anybody. Don't do anything that would distract anybody for the next few moments. I'm going to ask you just to sit there very quietly and very reverently. Perhaps as if you were the only person in this room and maybe just you and God. Because that's the way it's going to be one day. It's not going to be you and God and your boyfriend or you and God and your best friend or you and God and a preacher or a priest or your husband or your wife. It's going to be you and God one-on-one. -on -one. I want to ask you a question. How many in this room can say with an honest conscience, clear conscience, Scott, if I died right now, I don't think so. I don't hope so. I talked to a lady not long ago. I said, are you saved? She said, I'm about 95% saved. Let me tell you something. If you're 95% saved, you're 100% lost. I'm asking you if you've ever been born again. How many can say, Scott, I remember the day, I remember the time, I remember the place when Christ came to live in my life like air coming into my lungs. Christ came to live in my life and I have never been the same. I'm not asking you if you're perfect. None of us are perfect. But I'm asking you if you're born again. How many can say, Scott, there's no doubt about it. Everybody that knows me knows that I love Jesus with all my heart and I'm as sure for heaven as if I'd already been there a million years. I'm born again. I'm saved to the bone. There's no doubt about it. 
If that's your testimony and you can say it with a clear conscience, I want you to lift your hand up high in the air and hold it there for a moment. I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm born again. And if that's you, lift both hands and just say, thank you, Jesus. Come on, church. Just say, thank you, Lord, because I remember where I was and how empty I was and how lonely I was and how guilty I felt and I knew that I wasn't right. And then Jesus came you're born again it's not because you're good it's because God's good it's not because of what you've done you don't spell salvation D-O you spell it D-O-N-E it's what Jesus has done for you on the cross somebody in this room ought to just say Lord I love you Lord I thank you Lord I praise you Lord thank you that I've never been the same Jesus thank you thank you Lord thank you Lord I love you I'm not just religious I'm saved I'm born again Thank you, Jesus. And you may lift your hand or, clo- or put your hands down. And I want everybody who with their hands in the moment a moment ago, I want you to begin to pray right now like you've never prayed before. Because there are people all around you. Maybe next to you or behind you or in front of you. It might be your own husband, your own wife. It might be a friend from your high school. It might be a coworker. A next door neighbor you brought them and you know they don't know the Lord I want you to begin to pray because there are people in this room that could not lift their hand because they don't know Jesus like you do they don't have any confidence that if their heart stopped beating today they'd go to heaven they're lost I think the most terrible word in the English language is the word lost lost you ever been lost lost some of you are lost like a ball in high weeds you don't know God but God brought you here this morning are you listening to me are you listening to another voice that's speaking to your heart God brought you here this morning you're not here by accident because he loves you he gave his son to die for you on the cross and Jesus is alive and he's the only way to God he's not one of many ways he's the only way and I'm asking you this morning to do what I did in a jail cell 35 years ago I'm asking you to come to Christ people are praying for you you say Scott what do I need to do just cry out to him man because he's here right now just cry out to him Jesus save me matter of fact it's not even what comes out of your mouth because you're not saved by praying a prayer you're saved by Jesus but when you cry out from your heart you're talking to him The Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible says God loved you so much he gave his son that if you'll just believe. Now that doesn't mean just believe in your head because the devil believes. It means to give your life to Jesus, to become a follower of Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. You say, well, Scott, I don't know how. I don't even know how to pray. Please hear me. I'll help you. We'll all pray together. But I want you to understand that you're not saved by repeating a prayer. So this has got to come from your heart. Just as much as a man who says, I do. Those are not just words. They came from his heart. And his wife says, I do. And those words mean something. When Jesus died on the cross, he was saying, I do to you. And all you got to do is say, I do too, Jesus. I do too. I do give you my life. I do trust you. I will follow you. I do want to serve you and love you and live for you. And he'll help you. 
but you got to be open you got to take the first step and so i'm going to voice a prayer for everybody in this room who needs jesus you could not lift your hand to say i know the lord then pray with me right now and i want you to pray out loud because the bible says with our heart we we believe and with our mouth we confess that jesus is lord and i want everybody in the room to pray this prayer out loud because just the sound of your voice will help somebody and encourage somebody who's sitting around you who needs to come to Christ. And so we're all going to pray this prayer out loud, but many of you for the very first time, it's all clicked today. And today you want to come to Christ and give Him your life and be born again. You walked in here one person, you're going to walk out a different person. This is the most important day of your life. And so I want us to pray together right now out loud from our heart. Are you ready? Are you ready? This is the beginning of a brand new life for you. Are you ready? Let's pray together. Just say, oh God. Come on, pray it like you mean it. Just say, oh God. I know that I need you. God, I'm going the wrong way. And God, I'm empty on the inside. And God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've broken your law. And God, I'm sorry for my sin. And God, I don't want to live this way anymore. And I don't want to die this way. And so I come this morning by faith, believing that you sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for my sin. And I believe that he rose from the dead and that he's alive today. I don't understand it all. But I know it's true. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. And I thank you for dying for me. And the best I know how, I give you my life. I trust you as my Savior and my Lord. And I want to follow you. I want to live for you. I ask you to make me a new person and fill the emptiness on the inside. And I really mean it. I really mean it. Save me. I want to be born again. In Jesus' name. And heads are bowed and eyes are closed and Christians are praying. Did you pray that prayer with me just now? Sir, ma'am, young person, college student. How many of you prayed with me just now? Listen, from the bottom of your heart. You know what that means is with all the sincerity in your heart. You prayed with me this morning to say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life and I'm not ashamed of it. And I want to be born again. Is that you? Did you pray with me this morning? If that's you, I want you to look up at me right now and let your eyes meet mine. Praise God. Pray. Just keep looking up. I want to talk to you in this section. I love you guys. Praise God. It's like you're my new brothers and sisters. That's why I'm so excited because the family of God is the most important family. I grew up, I didn't even know what it was like to have a family. But when I got saved in that jail cell, I became a part of this incredible family where it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, it doesn't matter where you've come from or what you've done, God's our Father and we're all brothers and sisters. And I see you over here. If you're in the back, wave at me so I can know that's you, yeah. All over this room, you and you and you and you and you and you. If you're looking up at me, here's what you're saying today. I give my life to Jesus. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. 
I'm going to ask you to do what I've seen over 100,000 people do in the last 30 years of my life. I'm going to ask you not to be ashamed of Jesus. Don't you be ashamed of Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't ashamed of you. When he died on the cross, man, it wasn't in a dark room somewhere. It was in broad daylight. People were laughing at him. Maybe thousands were spitting on him and cursing him. But Jesus hung there on the cross. He wasn't ashamed of you. And you know what he says? He says, if you won't be ashamed of me before men, then I won't be ashamed of you before my Father who's in heaven. But he says, if you deny me before men, if you're too cool to, to go public for Jesus, then you're too cool to go to heaven. So I'm going to ask you to do what we do in every significant event of our life. When we're married, we stand before witnesses. Jesus said, go public. Take a stand for me. You say, well, what do you want me to do, Scott? Just this simple. In just a moment, I'm going to ask those of you who are looking up at me all over this room, I'm going to ask you not to be ashamed of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat. And I'm going to ask you to come stand right here because I want to shake your hand. I want to hug your neck. And all of our counselors are going to come and just stand with you. And that'll be your way of saying I'm serious. Because it's one thing to sit out there say, yeah, man, I mean it. It's another thing to get up, put feet to your faith and say I'm serious and I'm not ashamed. And I'm going to live my life for Christ. And let me tell you something. If you can't do it here, there's no way in the world you'll do it out there. This is the easiest place to take a stand for Jesus Christ. And so if you're looking up at me right now and you are not ashamed and you're serious, I want you to get up out of your seat right now and come stand right here. Come on, right now. From all over this building. All of our counselors are coming. Let's all stand together from all over the room. Come on, stand up and sing, buddy. Come on, let's go. Come on, as other people come. Just come on. Just come on. Let that mascara flow, girl. That's all right. I love you. God bless you, buddy. Just come. Come on. Just come on. Come on. Sing it. Let's sing it. Come on. Sing it, church. With all of our heart, you are holy. Just come. 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 You are holy. for just a moment i think we ought to give the lord a hand of praise for all these folks who have come they're not ashamed god bless you man god bless you wow what welcome to the family of god well it's forever that god doesn't get mad at you and kick you off the team or kick you out of the family he loves you he's patient with you I've made a million mistakes as a Christian. God's never said, well, that's just one too many. He loves you. You look at me. You're his son. Anybody, y'all got a son? Anybody got a son? I want you to think about how much you love your son. I have two sons and two daughters. I love y'all. That's why I've come. I didn't come for any other reason other than I just want to tell you about Jesus and what he's done in my life. And I love you. 
But if the only way you could go to heaven would be to take my son Josh out in our backyard and beat his face, inject him with an HIV virus and spit on him and nail him to a tree in my backyard, if that's the only way you can go to heaven, I love you, but if that's the only way you can go to heaven, then you can go to hell. Because I don't love you that much. I'm not going to give my son for you, and you're not going to give your son for me. But there's somebody that loved you so much. I got two sons. He only had one son. He gave the darling of heaven. He gave the best. He did the best he could. He gave his son to die for you, man. And if you would have been the only one, what's your name? Joe, if you would have been the only person that needed Jesus, he would have left heaven and said, I'll go for Joe. I'll just leave and I'll go. I'll leave everything and I'll just go for Joe. You know what that means, Joe? That means you would have had to drive the nails through his hands. Put the crown of thorns on his head. That's how much he loved you, Joe. That's how much he loves everybody in this room. I've been doing this a long time. Especially in the South. You know, everybody down here has been saved at least four or five times. You know that, right? They all live like hell. But they say they're saved. I'm going to tell you something. If you live like hell, guess where you're going to go when you die? Because when you're saved, you're saved from something and you're saved to something. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but your heart has changed. You've been born again. And it could be that you're standing next to somebody and you know they're lost. Because you know them. Might be your husband or your wife. Might be your kids. Might be a best friend. Here's what we're going to do. I want you all to stay right here along with all of our counselors. Don't stand out there. Come stand with these folks. Come welcome them. Form a huddle around these folks. Welcome them. So I want you all to stay right here. But here's what I want everybody else. I don't want anybody to leave. Ushers, help me. If you get in your car, I'm going to pray God will blow your transmission right out of your car on the way. And God hears my prayers, I guarantee you. I don't want anybody to leave. Here's what I want you to do. I want everybody in this room to turn to four or five people, except you all just stay here. I want everybody out there to turn to four or five people, look at them right in the eye and ask them this question. Are you sure you're born again? And if they say, I'm not really sure, like a waitress I talked to not long ago, tears swelled up in her eyes, began to trickle down her cheeks. She said, I don't really know. I said, would you like to know? She said, yeah. And right there at that restaurant, she gave her life to Christ. She got baptized in the church we were at that week. She's still serving God. Could be you're standing next to someone. You know they're lost. They know they're lost. God knows they're lost. Just a moment. I want you to turn to four, five, six people. Ask them, are you sure that you're born again? Are you born again? If they say no, take them by the hand. They want you to. Some people are on third base. They know they need God. They know Jesus died for them and rose again. They know if they'd come to Jesus, he'd save them. Listen to me. Don't die and go to hell on third base. Come home, man. So in a moment, I'm going to ask everybody to turn to four or five people. If they say, I'm not sure, take them by the hand, put your arm around the shoulder, and say, man, I'll go with you. And you bring them to Jesus. I want you to do it. Y'all stay here. I want everybody in the room right now. Turn to four or five people right now. Ask them, are you sure you're born again? And if they say no, you bring them to Christ. Come on, sing it with Turn to four or five people and just, that's right, just like that. That's right, just like that. Praise God. Come on, sing it, man. Let's sing it. Come on. Just come on.
want you to lift your hand up high in the air. And let's all, everybody out there, just extend a hand toward these folks as if to say, we bless you. We love you. You're doing the right thing. I'm a satisfied customer. I'm telling you, you're doing the right thing. And everybody that's come, just lift your hand up in the air and pray this prayer. This is like saying, Lord, I surrender. Matter of fact, say that. Say, Jesus. Come on, pray it. Jesus, I surrender. I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm not going to run from you. I'm going to run to you. Jesus, I give you my life. And from this day on, I'm going to follow you. I don't care who likes it. I don't care who doesn't like it. I'm serious. I'm on board 100%. I need your help. I need you to make me a new person. I don't ever want to go back to my old life again. I want to follow you every day until I die or until you come back. And I really mean it. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's lift up a shout. Come on. Woo. Praise God. Come on, church. Praise God. Woo. Praise God. Woo. Man, here's what we're going to do. We want to take just a couple of minutes of your time. We have some people that want to give you some information, and they want to get some information from you. And I want everybody to look right here for just a moment. Listen to me. Listen to me. The first step in following Jesus is to get baptized in water. The Bible says repent and be baptized. We want you to get baptized tonight. Okay, now listen to me. Don't, the devil will try everything in the world. You'll have your old friends call, hey, what are you doing? Let's go do this, do that. Here's what you say. No, you're going to come with me tonight. I'm going to get baptized tonight. You're going to be there to watch me. Right. Matter of fact, I want you to call every friend and family member you've got and get them here tonight to see you get baptized. You say, well, Scott, I got baptized when I was a kid. No, listen, you might have got wet when you were a kid. Okay, I got baptized when I was eight years old. It didn't mean a thing. I just went down dry center, came up a wet center. I didn't know God. I just did it because everybody else did it. So tonight, if this is real in your life, then tonight we want to baptize you. We want to talk to you about that for just a moment. Then we want to give you a Bible and some material that we have for you that will help you grow. Because listen, this is the beginning of a new life. This is not fire insurance from hell and a free ticket to heaven. All right? This is a brand new life. Amen. And it means following Jesus. And it means getting in church. See, Christianity is not like golf. It's not like tennis. It's not a solo sport. It's more like football. I play football and baseball. It's more like a team sport. You can't play football all by yourself. You got to play it on a team. The church is your team. Amen. amen. Hey, come on. Amen. amen. Come on. Is this amen. a method? What kind of church is this? Amen. <laughs> How many of you are glad to have some new teammates this morning? Amen. amen. And new members of the family. Amen. When a baby is born, that baby is born into a family. You've been born again. This is your family. All right. Now, if you already have a church, you go back to your church. If you're a Methodist, tell your minister, I got saved, I want to get baptized. If you're a Baptist, go tell your Baptist preacher, I want to get baptized. If you're Catholic, go tell your priest, I got born again, I want to get baptized. That'll bless him. Try that, I promise you. That'll, that'll go over. But most of you, some of you don't ever go to church. Well, that's going to change. 
this is your new church, your new family. You got a new savior, a new life. So we want to talk to you about how to live for Christ. And then we're going to, all of us, listen to me. Don't you stay home tonight. You stay home tonight. I'll pray God will blow your TV set up. Amen. You be here. to. Don't you stay home and watch, you know, Real Housewives of Lumberton or whatever. I mean, you be here tonight. Six o'clock, Pastor. Is that right? We got a big pizza party, magic show for the kids. And I'm going to be preaching the most powerful and personal message. I'm going to talk to you tonight about how my mama came to Christ. I don't want you to miss it. It's a very powerful, personal. How many of you will be here tonight? Let me see your hand. You're going to be here tonight. All right. Everybody look up. All right. We just got your picture. Amen. Thanks to our president, we can do that now. Amen. So you be back here tonight. Don't miss tonight at six. And then to see all these folks follow Christ in baptism. I love you. Welcome to the family of God. Pastor, are we going this way? Amen. Come yes. help us. Uh, yes. Well, number one, let's give the Lord a great big God bless you. Let him know we appreciate him today. Look up at it just for a moment. There's tables right over here, and there's counselors and people. They're going to give you some things. They're going to give you a brochure that's going to be some steps to keep moving forward in your walk with God. They're going to take your name and address, just a few simple things. It's painless. And I'm going to ask, hey, how many of you have a friend who's here in the altar today? You're going to be patient with them. Amen. Come on. Come on. Let's give the Lord some more praise. Amen. And so I'm going to ask you, just go, just sit down. They're going to greet you. They're going to get some information from you, give you some important stuff. And so we can stay in contact with you and help you grow in Christ. Uh, there's plenty of seats right over here. Let's just all go this way. So y'all just all go that way. And Jim and Trish, y'all can come help this way. Let's give them a big hand. Let them know we love them this morning. Amen. Woo! You know what the Bible says? The Bible says when one sinner gives their life to Christ, all of heaven rejoices. Now, let me just affirm what Scott said. Don't miss tonight. Don't, don't slip out and, and kind of forget. Let's, hey, go get some more friends. How many of you wish you had some friends that were here tonight that didn't come? Hey, it, hey, go get them and say, listen, whoo, you got to come hear this story. Uh, and I encourage you to do that. I ask you to do that. And for all you that came today as a friend, we thank you. My next door neighbor, God bless the Zafs. Good to have them. Let, raise your hand. There they are. I love them. They, he said, I'll come. I appreciate you, Richard. God bless y'all. And hey, come see us again tonight. We appreciate it. We love you. Where's, hey, did we get some? Nine kids got saved in a children's church. Woo! Wow. So we thank God for that. And all of this will happen again tonight. And we'll just build on what God is doing. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for coming. You appreciate Scott today. Let Scott know you're glad he came from Dallas to be with us today. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock. Amen.